before um, since. Um, and just to give you a sense of distance, the, the battle line here is about 12 to 15 miles away from Bethlehem. So, you know, day's journey um, back and forth. So you know, it, it wouldn't be that difficult for him to, to go back and forth between the camp of Saul and his father's household. Um, the, the who he is part um, is interesting. Um, you know, is it because he can't recognize him? Um, but he does meet him in, in the middle of 17 and enough to sort of put his armor on him. Um, I think the, the whose son is this youth. Um, notice who Saul's talking to there. He's talking to Abner. What do we know about Abner? What, you know, both now and going forward, Abner is associated with one thing. War. <laughs> this is the military god. So, um, you, you've just seen this youth take down a nine-foot, six-inch Philistine. And, you know, you have this sort of picture of Saul turning to his military commander going, why is this guy not in the army? Um, so if we sort of take it in that sense, um, we, we can see this passage as, you know, the, the transformation of David from, you know, youngest son, protector of his father's sheep, playing music, to what he's going to be in chapter 18, which is major killer of uncircumcised Philistines. Um, so to think of the passage as, in a sense of, um, sort of like you know, with Genesis 1 and 2, with Genesis 1 you have this description of overall creation, and then you have the description of the specific creation of man in the garden. Um, you know, it's the, the purpose of that second chapter different from the first. It's got a, a more specific focus. And I think that's the sense, a similar relationship between 16 and 17. In chapter 16, you have this general introduction to David, that he's going to be king, what his household's like. And now you're seeing the military introduction of David. Uh, this person who, um, in chapter 18, is going to be described as striking down tens of thousands of Philistines. Um, so we're given, being given a sense of how do you move from, oh, you know, handsome little boy playing his liar tending the sheep Aww. to David bringing back in the words of my friend Corey Pelton the foreskins of Philistines like fish on a stringer uh, yeah it's a, it was, he said that in a sermon in, in seminary and it's like stuck with me yeah. foreskins like fish on a stringer thanks Corey I could never read that passage again without thinking of that <laughs> well, you know, I have to. I ha, I, I'm contractually ob obliged to continue to share this. Uh, and if you're ever in in Greenville, South Carolina, and need to go to church, you can go, uh, Corey, and say. So, would you understand David bringing back the? Uh... 
That would be really funny. I'd like that. So if you're ever in South Carolina, let me know. I'll tell you which church you pastors in. But it's this, uh, we're seeing this transformation of, of this boy into someone who is going to be bloody. And in fact, you know, if we think of the whole trajectory of, of David's career, a, a person who is, whose hands are so bloody that God refuses to let him construct his, his holy temple. Um, so in chapter 17, the focus is on David becoming this mighty warrior, becoming this person who slays uh, uncircumcised Philistines. Um, and I, I say that, uh, you know, with the, the sense, um, I want us to, when we have those points of inconsistency in the scripture, I think God puts those there to get us to slow down, um, to not find and fall into sort of like easy kinds of answers. But um, I've often noticed it's those kinds of, of details that often get us to think more deeply about the story. Um, and, you know, we should avoid this kind of, oh, it's just two different people wrote it and they wrote from different perspectives. And, you know, so you've got two different stories about David that have been by different authors that have been squished together. That's an easy explanation. Um, I, if we think of it, um, what's the, narrat- the narrative purpose? Um, so even knowing that the author of Samuel has compiled, you know, he's a historian. He's compiled things from various sources. He's not an idiot. Um, he's not stupid. Um, and the author behind the human author is certainly not, uh, is certainly not ignorant of, of these things. So God is putting these things in there to get us to think more deeply about it. And we should, um, just to give you a sense of uh, when the Septuagint tried to translate this, they solved the difficulties by just shortening chapter 17 by half. So, yeah, eh, that doesn't seem right. We got that detail in chapter 16. We'll just cut off all the stuff about Jesse and his family. That's not the answer. <laughs> the answer is for us to think about it. Mary. And, and to think about um, what it tells us about David's self-conception, this is the first time we hear David speak is in this chapter. Chapter 16 is everybody talking about David. We never have you know, one word issuing forth from his mouth. Here he talks. And so we start getting this insight into who he is by what he says. Um, and, and on that line... Um, we have this confrontation um, in this passage between uh, David and his older brother Eliab. Um, 
So what was David doing and why did Eliab snap at him in this way? Um, what, what's the cause of this confrontation between brothers? And, you know, in David's response, uh, you know, uh, what have I done now? How many times a day do I hear that? <laughs> oh, I didn't do anything. She just started yelling at me for no reason. I just asked him a question. But what's David doing? Or what's his brother accusing him of doing? So he's abandoning the sheep. He's come out of some uh, uh, you know, curiosity. He wants to watch the battle. You know, so it's sort of he's accusing them literally of evil of your heart. Presumption. Um, whoa. Yeah, if we think back in, in terms of chapter 16, I mean, again, some people um, will, would look at this and say, boy, Eliab doesn't really seem to understand that, that David was anointed, you know, because we're told that David was anointed in presence of his brothers. And this sort of seems like, doesn't Eliab know who he's talking to? But I think uh, I'm with you, Sandy, that he knows exactly... <laughs> um, you know, what has happened in the prior chapter, and he's jealous. Um, he is the older brother who has been very clearly um, not just not chosen, um, but in the words of chapter 16, I've rejected him. Um, so this is the rejected brother um, who's oldest, and he's been rejected in front uh, in, instead for his younger you know, kid brother um, who's been anointed out of turn, so to speak. Yeah, he's pointed out, you know, why are y'all sitting around listening to this day after day? And notice how... um, David, you know, was it not but a word? Um, some translation, I just ask a question, um, that, the same thing. And notice that he continues to ask that question. I mean, it's as if he's going through the ranks asking, the, you know, the same question of every person out there. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Um, you know, He's going through the ranks. And notice that's how he comes to Saul's attention. I mean, sometimes in the way we conceive of this story, we think of David, um, you know, appearing before Saul saying, I'll take him down. But David's going through the ranks asking this question. And Saul asked for him. You know, notice there that it's Saul that uh, sent for David. And then we have the conversation where David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. But it's by David's going through the ranks asking this question, that's what brings the notoriety for Saul to, to bring him into his presence and then you know, have this encounter where David um, it says, let your servant go and fight this Philistine. Thank you.
Um, it's interesting one thing so yeah David's repeating something they already know but David injects one thing that hasn't showed up in the passage until David says it God is referenced first in this chapter in these words of David it's the first time that, that we have this it's not, and it, he's not just challenging the armies of Israel, he's in challenging the armies of the living. And, and notice, the, you know, when David says it, he, he throws that adjective, living God, um, in there. Um, so it, you're absolutely right, George. That, that's what he, the difference he brings is he refocuses the attention. This is not a battle between the Philistines and Israel. This is a battle between these uncircumcised, outside the covenant Philistines and the people of the living God. Um, it's not just a physical warfare that's going on. like God in the sense that he's thinking unconventional thoughts. Um, you, know, you know, Israel's thinking, who do we have that's 
you know, big enough, that can be well equipped enough to fight this Philistine. Um, and you know, sending a unarmored boy out with a sling and some rocks is about as unconventional uh, a response to to a nine foot six Philistine with you know a couple hundred pounds of armor on that you could think of. Yeah. Yeah, we would be thinking in those same conventional kinds of, you know, yeah, we know what he's saying. <laughs> What's, what can we do? Yeah, it's happened in this book. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, he is—he's—he's he's accepted as true this message that it's the battle doesn't go to the sword and the spear and the armor. The battle is the Lord's. God is going to determine the outcome of this battle. He really believes that. And I think we really see that picture with this interaction with Saul. I mean, you know, kudos to Saul that he sees something in this kid. Uh, as as Doug said, you know, this is a you know this is an all for end game here. Whoever you send send out is your champion and bears the weight of his people on his shoulders. And Saul, you know, in a sense, the person who has the most to lose from this sees something in David that he's willing to. To okay, we're I'm with you. We're all in, and yet he still wants to cloak him in in mail, armor, sword, shield. You know, it, you know the ways of this Philistine. Um, you know, and I, so I really see that idea of you know Saul again. Kudos to him that you know he recognizes and he says to David, um, go. The Lord be with you, but let's put a helmet of bronze on you and some mail and sword and some armor. Um, so, I mean, it's that, that great picture of, uh, I think it's a great picture of, you know, wanting to take what the world does but add, you know, a spiritual label on it.
And what David's doing, he's acting in completely unconventional ways. Um, that's a good question. Um, I was thinking about that some. Uh, I mean, it's very clear. Um, you know, Goliath. Um, Goliath certainly puts them in that position. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? So, I mean, he's clearly identified Saul as the head of this this Israel army, and whoever comes out to challenge him in a sense, will be Saul's representative. So, I mean, he understands that whoever comes out is going to be um, the person with Saul's okay. And and certainly Saul gives David, it's not just David doing it on his own, David is going out there with the king's approval, you know, with the king's command, go, and the Lord be with you. Um, So he is certainly going out in that position. Now, whether you know some hot-headed Israelite could have just sort of rushed out there and fought the Philistine um, without Saul's permission, I don't know. But I mean, it's certainly being set up that whoever it would be would certainly be Saul's uh, representative. Yeah, for forty days, forty nights, <laughs> um, no one has stepped up to this challenge. Um, okay, I want to end just, just briefly because we're out of time. But um, notice how there's a lot more time spent on this exchange of words between David and Goliath than the actual combat between them. It's as if the combat itself is ancillary to what's really important, which is this war of words um, before the two um, engage in physical uh physical struggle. So, um, what's really at contest between these two combatants? So, if we, they're waging this war of words, what, what's the struggle really about? Yeah, so David is speaking, um, you know, these words out of uh, out of conviction of what God will do for him. Where it was, God, Goliath is spewing insults, and he's cursing David by his God. So he's invoking his gods, but he's invoking his gods in a very different way than David is invoking the name of the living God. Bill. Yeah, that, um, you know, and, and David, and notice how David emphasizes that. You know, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Again, that word, you know, his, his offense um, before God is the fact that he's uncircumcised, but that he has been repeatedly defiant and in the presence of God. Thank you.
<laughs> yeah, that just sort of, <laughs> you know, um, the the sense that God guides the arrow. God is clearly guiding the stone here. Uh, you know the. Um, Million to one shot. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Um, this that you know he brings down this well-equipped Philistine um, with a sling and a stone. What else? And, and just one other thing, because we, we we've hit our time, so we need to to break. But so I'll just go ahead and emphasize this last part. Um, notice that the purpose that David gives a particular purpose to this battle. Um, uh, you know, he goes through the whole speech and he says um, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Um, to think of this, this isn't, again, this isn't just about one battle in the Valley of Elah. This is about the whole earth knowing there, that there's a God and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you, plural, into our plural hand. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, at the end of that speech, you know, he's turned it to that all the earth will know and that everyone in that assembly, particularly Israelites, will know that God has delivered them into our hands. Um, that... God has decided the battle. So these 40 days of, of, of worry, of, of wondering what's going to happen, have, have been uh, misspent. That they should know that their God fights for them. Alright, let me close this prayer. Almighty God, um, we confess that we are so overwhelmed by the world around us that uh, we are too quick to adopt human modes of thinking and to think that things can only be done um, through the pursuit of certain earthly needs. This passage teaches us that we need to deepen our relationship with you that we might deepen our faith and confidence that you are a living God who works mightily on behalf of your people to bring about your particular ends. Almighty God, we see in David um, not a perfect man by any means, a man full of sin, a man who, as his brother accuses him, probably does have some some of that uh, morbid curiosity of seeing a battle. Uh, we see a man who will be noted for uh, being a man of war and a man of bloodshed. A man who uh, is a murderer and an adulterer, but nevertheless, because of your sovereign purpose, he is a man after God's own heart. And we see um, that heart of David's here in these words of his that he brings you into a situation he injects your name to a situation where it had not been present earlier and he enters into um, this situation 
with the unconventional belief that his God will act for the people of God. So, Almighty God, we ask as we worship you this day, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that you would um, continue to fill us with that spirit, that we would um, have the kind of faith that would lead us to live unconventional lives. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.